0: Is gonna have the news monday april 13th happy easter monday
1: happy easter From LA
0: podcast
1: easter monday is a real
0: holiday it's it's still a holiday for some places people celebrate easter monday
1: do is that really true
0: yeah some people have days off work <laughs> work
1: <laughs> remember remember,
0: work. remember when we used to have days off
1: uh hi everyone week four we're essentially a month in that maybe two days short but right. this this week is the one month anniversary of all of us being safer at home lot to cover this week as every week uh related to what's going on with the outbreak of covid-19 here how are you two doing specifically what's going on in your respective residences um i been doing pretty well. This has been, I would say
2: the week that I've started being able to get like most grocery items again, after several weeks of not being able to like reliably get toilet paper, paper towels, uh-huh. any kind of staple grains that has become a little bit easier, I, I find. Particularly going to the neighborhood markets around us, and, and in my case, going to like uh, Virgil Village, to a lot of places that, frankly, like if if we were talking about like this type of event happening a couple years in the future, it seems entirely likely that a lot of these places would have been wiped out by ongoing yeah. gentrification, which is which is kind of interesting. They they're they're there. Hopefully, they're they're doing really good business right now, but. As we continue in this pandemic, it's really interesting to think about like the kind of service that those stores provide that other larger chains can't provide right now. But yeah, in general, just very much in the routine of going nowhere, doing nothing. <laughs> just holding on to, to sanity, I guess. What about you, Alyssa?
0: I think this was the week that it started to feel like a routine, kind of yeah. like you're saying, like it just mm-hmm. felt like, okay, this is what we do now. But then also having something like Easter or whatever other holiday, you know, many other holidays people are celebrating this week, kind of had you rethink a lot of the the fact that life will not be the same for quite a long time. And so things like, getting stuff for Easter baskets. You know, we, there are no peeps at the supermarket, which is very, you know, troubling. They stopped production of peeps, which is, you know, as very disruptive to my yeah. personal family celebrations.
1: Right. Luckily, um, they last for. Like yeah. Luckily, I had a years. box.
0: I had a box in the closet from last year, so yeah. it's no big deal. But like even things like getting little junky toys for the Easter basket didn't seem like a the right thing to do at this moment. Thankfully, we had grandparents that, you know, very generously sent stuff for the kids. But and like hard boiling eggs that you might not eat also seemed pretty ridiculous to do yeah, when we yeah. when we're all trying to, you know, get the eggs from our supermarket that are might not be there or someone else might need more than us. So just a lot of thinking about the long term uh, changes that we're going to see in our in our lives for for months and years. Probably
1: mm-hmm. v- nice for your kids to have an invincible grandmother who uh, can now go to stores with impunity and like send them, like <laughs> spoil them. Yeah. Still apart. not her, but yes. <laughs> she has antibodies. <laughs> I just went out, So this was the week that we were told we were going to hit the, the, the peak of hospitalizations and the, and the biggest burden on our uh, medical system. And we're explicitly told more so than any other week to just kind of stay inside and any errands that you don't have to run, just, like, don't do them. So I, for the last week, had not really done anything. And then just now, before we recorded, went out and ran some basic errands that, that I had to do. And it was crazy stressful. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, I mean, like, that. it sort of made me realize that, like, we were sort of accidentally. Like, without knowing it, we're, like, accumulating trauma about doing basic stuff. And as this being at home and doing nothing becomes routine doing stuff becomes scary and like
0: traumatic no it's like really really weird there's like
2: there's like a whole there's like a whole new set of mental barriers that we're it's kind of like his I think the first maybe the first episode that we did uh while social distancing you were talking about watching tv and like people not observing distancing and just kind of like being like oh what's happening here now, when you start trying to like do those things outside of your house yourself, it's same thing. It's like we've it's erected these mental barriers of I shouldn't be
1: doing this. And it's a lot easier to panic, I think, and just feel like anxious wearing a mask because you can't breathe that well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just like not being able to get your breath easily. Yeah. I think it, it creates this atmosphere of like and always kind of being unsettled. We'll talk more about masks one thing from uh, this week so this is a new segment I want to inaugurate still taking pitches on the title but the discussion of on this show about like what's going on with the pandemic and the outbreak can get to be sort of a bummer and we like there's a lot of criticism about different aspects of the response so I thought we should highlight one. Nice thing every week that either we know someone personally who did, or um, just like an aspect of the response that is positive. The working title that I've developed is: we We're all hearing about COVID nineteen. How about COVID 19 I like this
0: COVID. Unfortunately, the, the
1: the the subjects of my first story are not teens, and it does it definitely makes them sound like they are. So it might the title still might need pitching on. Okay. my um, only other title that I've thought of so far. Is
2: Miss which I'm not sure. Really
1: Miss Covetiniality. <laughs> now, <laughs> it doesn't really solve the teen aspect.
0: Yeah, this is a problem.
1: It actually introduces a bunch of new issues. It should probably Miss Covegeniality. Well, there's there like no the
0: people say, Covidiots, right? Have you heard people say that? Yeah, Covidiots. Yeah. yeah. So this, you could do like a, a twist on that. Like, what's the opposite of a yeah. Covidiot?
1: Covirtuous. Something. <laughs> To send your ideas. Uh, so the story from this week is actually the um, continuation of a, a story I uh, told a couple times months ago that, that people have asked about. There is a couple who had lived in Echo Park for a really long time who I knew from working with Sela, who a few months ago uh, announced that the, the woman was pregnant and have been staying in a hotel in East Hollywood for since October, basically. Really long time. While she was pregnant, she, she, they were there during the pandemic, just kind of riding the whole thing out. And the and so during that time, they had actually been, I connected them to Path, who set them up with an uh, apartment voucher. So they will be able to get housing. And that was really exciting, but not easy to look for an apartment in this uh, current environment, especially when you are almost nine months pregnant. And so they needed basically a temporary shelter situation during the time after she had the baby and before they move into their place, because the hotel where they were at is that it was really, really small, didn't have their own bathroom. It's not really a good place. To, and you need kind of a support network to raise a child, I'm told. So they had made temporary plans to stay with a family member who couldn't like for a lot of reasons, it wasn't going to work long term, but they could kind of like couch surf with a family member for a little while who would help them take care of this baby. She had the baby last week. Beautiful little girl. Everyone was healthy and happy. And then the next day, the family member told them that they could not come stay with her. Oh, no. So she's in the hospital about to be discharged either into this like tiny little hotel room or into homelessness, basically. And so I g- called around, tried to figure out like some kind of alternative, especially because, I, you know, like bringing them stuff for the baby. I didn't know how I could do that safely. I don't know what to get, where to get it. And two people from Lhasa. Victor Hinderleiter and Christy Lovitch managed to, within a day, within a day, set them up in a new hotel situation, much nicer, and drive them out there, get them completely set up with baby stuff, a place for, for the baby to sleep, diapers, clothes, like all, like all the stuff that they need. And they can stay there basically until they find their apartment. And they're getting uh, regular check ins on wow. the baby. It was like this happened. They put this together so quickly. It was unbelievable. And so I'm so happy that that story has had a positive ending. So thank you to Victor and and Christy for putting that together so fast. Let's talk about what we've talked about every week, just an update on the outbreak in Los Angeles. Like I said, this is when we were we were told that we were maybe going to hit the peak. Do based on our various observations do we think that has happened? It's.
2: I would say it's hard to say. I'm interested in hearing what Alyssa thinks, but I, I think that one of the things that we've been talking about is that we are seeing a more linear increase, a very slow increase in the impacts of this disease locally in LA and more generally in California as a whole. the The thing to watch going forward is that if we loosen up the restrictions currently, if we change what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, the, the disease exists within our population. And so, under the present regime of social distancing, wearing masks, non essential businesses being closed, large group gatherings being not allowed, we have successfully flattened the curve.
1: That being so said, so that's, I mean, that basically, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, have we effectively passed the because of social distancing past the peak of increases in 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 cases and in deaths and hospitalizations? Basically, what we've been seeing at the beginning of this week was larger increases in cases, deaths and hospitalizations. But pretty much every metric has like the level of increase has gone down since then. And and that's like basically what when they when they talk about flattening the curve, it's just like the level of increase going down,
0: right? And that's what Doctor Farr said on Friday at the at the press conference, and did say that we have successfully flattened the curve. But mm. exactly what Scott just said, we can't. That doesn't mean we can cha- really change anything about what we're doing at all right now. Right. And I think we you had you had shared Hayes the numbers of deaths again. Like we are testing so much more. We have really like one of the most impressive. Mm-hmm testing programs, I think in the country. I mean, if you, if you are symptomatic and need to get tested, you can get tested tomorrow. And the testing centers are all over the city and county. And it's apparently very easy and very tech forward to go get this done. So that's great. We know we're testing as many people as, as we can, or who need to be tested. And we haven't seen cases gone up. They're actually going down the number of cases reported each day. And then the number of deaths is kind of like wavering around this, like 20, 20, I don't know, 23 average for the past week, yeah. probably. So for the last we, week,
1: it, I'll, I'll just read through them actually. Starting on Monday, there were 28 uh, new deaths, which was a record at that time. Then it went down to 15, 15, 22, 29, uh, 25, 18, 25. And like the every death in this situation is a tragedy, but the fact that the numbers are not. Increasing consistently is a positive sign that we are either at or past the, the top of the curve. But like you're saying, like, you know, what we're all sort of alluding to is like, at this point, do we just stop looking at the numbers? Because what difference does it make? We're in this weird place where I think there's a general feeling that the impact in Los Angeles was not bad. And it definitely wasn't compared to so many other places in the country, but people still it, it changes nothing as, as far as like people still having to stay home, places not being able to reopen. In fact, there are some aspects of our response that should probably be made uh, much more safe than they have been. Specifically, there were stories out this week in, in many different cities in the country about outbreaks among the population of people who are homeless. Most notably in San Francisco, which had a huge outbreak of 60-plus uh, people who were homeless in a shelter, multiple staff members. I'm not sure if this was like a, a newly set up emergency shelter. I don't think it was.
0: It was an existing shelter. Existing yeah. shelter, yeah. yeah.
1: But we have we, – there were new cases in, in the shelters that have been set up in Los Angeles as well, Alyssa, if you want to talk about
0: that. Right. So the, this, is, this is something that has been uh, – Probably one of the more criticized aspects of our response, which has been very good overall as a city and county, I think, but that the city said it was going to set up these emergency shelters at rec centers. I don't know how many they ended up getting up. Maybe twelve. They there was eight like yeah, the first weekend. I, I think it was, was going to be like. They were saying they
1: were going to open more. They said it was going to be 6,000 beds and then it didn't even end up being close to that many.
0: And now they've put that program on pause, the mayor said Friday, because there was a a case in one of those new shelters in Granada Hills. And there was a really like gripping L.A. Times story about how, you know, what happened inside the shelter when that was announced that the case that someone had tested positive because as much as as every precaution that you could take in a place like this, you know, they're putting beds six feet apart, they're telling people to wash hands, they have, you know, people doing temperature checks, but you still have to look at these types of living situations as a place like a cruise ship, like a, you know, prison, all these different places are these living situations where people are going to be sharing some facilities and end up having interactions with people. And The safer thing, and what what happened in San Francisco, that you know the advocates and even some supervisors have been clamoring for this for weeks, and it was really amazing to see in San Francisco they proposed putting an emergency shelter in Moscone Center, a giant, basically the equivalent of putting in our convention center, and the advocates and some supervisors said, absolutely not. We're not doing this. Let's put people in hotel rooms. And then especially after this outbreak was announced, a really forceful press conference on Friday afternoon in San Francisco saying we need to get at least 8,000 rooms online right away and move people into these places right away. And I, th- I think that's kind of the right move at this point. I don't really yeah. think we have a choice here. Mm-hmm.
2: So the the other thing that we found out this week, I, I believe was reported in the LA Times by Sumia Kalamangla was that almost 25% of the individuals who have died in LA County, which is mm-hmm. now over 200 people have died of COVID here. 25% of those were living in a group or otherwise like uh, shared living space situation. So people who are in shelters, people who are in nursing and or retirement facilities, just to underline what you're talking about, Alyssa, that even in the case where like Mayor London Breed of San Francisco was doing, or like LA was proposing doing here with these shelters of like basically dormitory style, sleeping six feet apart is not sufficient to actually keep people safe. and, and there has been a, a growing body of reporting over the course of the past couple of weeks that has suggested that even in even in like just normal distancing scenarios, the six feet buffer might not be sufficiently conservative to protect people as we learn more about this disease. But then well, you're talking you're about like bathroom, only having case. six yeah. feet of personal space. Right. And sharing a bathroom and things like that. It's it's it, it is a known danger that we are imposing upon people.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so we had, you know, I think some some movement on this front as well. We saw I can't remember the latest numbers from Friday, but I, I believe they said they've moved a couple hundred people into hotels, the highest risk people in LA they supposedly are getting 15,000 rooms which sounds amazing. They apparently have lots of hotels and motels stepping up to offer this, but again, we're not the two things we're not seeing are the response from most of our council members that this should even be done, you know, even speaking out against say this, these type of shelter situations, which were not adequate to begin with. And just the speed, we're basically racing time right now. Like we, we could have done this a month ago. They say if they needed federal funds or different things to be declared at the state level. Governor Newsom declared this project room key thing that was initiative that was going to um, help s- streamline this. But also we have the power to commandeer hotels right mm-hmm. now. And mm-hmm. I'm seeing more of this, like, Offer them up if you can. So you know, the, yeah.
2: the the thing that I think is is interesting is that you know we we talked about last week. I, I think we we spoke about how out of all of the mayors in in America, London Breed and Eric Garcetti had done a, a good job responding with the appropriate speed to this crisis. But along with that, you you have to acknowledge that. California, large cities in California and the state as a whole, continues to fall down in its responsibilities to our most vulnerable residents, the homeless. And there is another uh, data point on that this week from the the judge who is mm-hmm. overseeing the 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 emergency federal case about the the vulnerability of homeless encampments and particularly skid row conditions during this pandemic. That judge went out and did a walking tour by himself, basically, and was talking to people on Skid Row, examining the hygiene stations that the city said that it was putting out. We we talked about this, this, this court date, the initial court date. It was very, it was very unorthodox. There was a lot of the politicians were, were all, everybody was talking on a first name basis and saying, we're all in this together and taking care of these people. But then, like, wouldn't you know it? The the judge goes out to Skid Row after after hearing all of these assertions about the hygiene stations that the city was going to put in place, and none of them have water. And mm-hmm. so now, now you know it's all
1: over. It's not just in Skid Row, by the way. It's all over the city. Those right. hygiene stations they they put out, they just put them out once. They never refilled them. And groups like Kate town for All, homeless advocacy groups, have gone out and been putting out replacement water and hand sanitizer and just setting up kind of their jerry rigging their own versions of them
0: if only they had like rain catchment roofs on them they could have just Mm -hmm. been collecting you know water rainwater this whole time and they would be you could just heat that up it's so easy but i think this is like the hand washing station i don't even care about that anymore because that's obviously was just something they did to like make people feel better for a couple weeks but it's that Period is over now. Like we are not yeah. in the hand washing phase of this process. Right. and and it would be very, very easy. And I know I'm probably simplifying this argument a lot, but it would be very easy with the amount of hotel rooms that we have empty to at least vote, fo- like just say that this is our primary concern and this is what we're going to do right now. There's there's not going to be any pushback. There's not going to be any. You know, it's it's broadly popular. It's something that we can do. We have money now. Um, they're negotiating contracts with all these different hotels and motels. It just seems like a very not even just the people who are most high risk. Also, just like everybody. Honestly, if you're
2: if you're saying like uh, as a politician, like the the way that we went about between the last recession and the the recession that we're entering right now, the way that we went about economic development in this city. Um, saying it is so important to the fabric of our city that we build all of these new hotels that we're going to <laughs> right. uh, forgive taxes that we would collect from these companies over the course of 20 to 30 years. So Project that they billions will- Billions of dollars in lost yes. revenue. So yes. that, they will, that they will build these hotels. It's that important. It, it, it's kind of a wonder that if, if you can say that as a politician with a straight face, that you wouldn't be able to say, now that we did that, these hotels are in this together with the rest of the city, and they need to they need to use this space that is just sitting vacant in and order to keep people safe. They would still
0: get paid. Mm-hmm. The hotels will get paid under this plan too. They negotiate a rate in San Francisco. They were saying it's between eighty and ninety dollars. I don't know exactly what it is in LA. They I um, haven't gotten the same types of estimates, but the hotels get money, which is better than zero dollars mm-hmm. with the room that they have empty right now. And yeah, hand washing stage is great. Better a sink for every person, and a bathroom, and a bed for them yeah. to sleep in. And we have the ability to do it.
1: I mean, the, like, then there was some there was some reporting in the LA Times from the person that is running this project Roomkey, I think, for the city or county, saying that there are some prestige hotels that are worried about their reputation. That like, will anyone want to stay there knowing that at some point a homeless person was sheltered there during a pandemic? I mean, this to me is. Such the like the signature strategy of uh, cities like San Francisco and L.A. of being so reactive and five years behind whatever needs to be done when it when it comes to homelessness. Shelters in rec centers to house people at like at like six feet apart, just on cots was what we should have been doing before the, the whole pandemic. time. Yeah, yes.
0: right. In healthy day in healthy like days. that.
1: Yes. And in and, 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 and healthy conditions, that's what we should have been doing. So they say, okay, now it's an emergency. We'll do that, even though it was putting people in a more dangerous situation that that, that it appears than they would have been in just staying in tents. And in a lot of cases, like not, I mean, it gets people out of the rain, which is nice. But I mean, putting people in that like without even barriers between them in a pandemic is really unsafe. And the yeah, city's actually taking, lucky that it hasn't uh turned out worse than it has.
0: Right. You're taking people's tents that probably are six feet apart. And right. then you're saying they have to move. I mean, they're there nobody's being forced into these shelters. They it was raining and people obviously probably wanted to get inside and felt like they were getting taken care of. And I'm I'm sure all that is happening. I'm not I don't want to dismiss that you know the city is trying to do the right thing. But as we could see in San Francisco You know, okay, so 60, whatever people have tested positive. If you are the most vulnerable population getting this disease, especially now, what we know about all sorts of ranges from, you know, ethnic background, from race, all these things, like how it's impacted, how we know what our own homeless population is made up of demographically, more people are going to die now you know, maybe this is the second wave that we're going to start facing right now uh-huh. because the the disease started as a rich person, a rich traveling person's disease and is now kind of yeah. filtering its way down into into different parts of the city. And if this is what we're going to see now, the cost to hospitalize all those people and put them in ICU beds or ventilate them, that is going to overwhelm our healthcare system in a very different way. And maybe later. So yeah. the cost of an eighty dollar hotel room to put people in now seems like it would save us a lot of money. Over the long run. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and you think about like the strategy of five years ago or even five months ago, the uh, the people saying at the time seize hotel rooms and vacant units like that was the fringe position <laughs> right. where you'd say, like OK, like that's that's it's extreme. There isn't really a precedent for it. I don't think there's any like political uh, will to do that. Now, that has shifted to the thing that they actually should be doing, telling hotels like, we'll we'll pave to we'll, we'll pay to use these rooms, but they're empty. Nobody is using them. And it will say, like you're saying, Alyssa, even like the humanitarian aspect aside, it will save the city so much money, the city and county compared to the, like the, the hospitalization of dozens and dozens of dozens we'll of people. We'll
0: pay for Yeah, we'll pay for that as a city Absolutely. no matter what. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about some secondary effects that have been playing out, especially this week. We've seen drone footage of very long lines of cars waiting at food banks around the country has been sort of underplayed in L.A., but that is happening here, too. Where was that uh, happening around L.A. this week, Alyssa?
0: There was a I think it was over a mile long line of cars for people to get into a food distribution, a free same thing. Like they give you a box of food from the food bank at Van Nuys City Hall. It was overseen by Nuri Martinez, our council president. And yeah, we I, I saw everybody sharing that one viral photo of San Antonio. It looked like it was like a rental car lot or something with cars lined up. It was actually just people waiting to get food. But we have those things here. There was a, a diaper giveaway that Herb Wesson was out handing diapers out to people. And one of the things that someone mentioned in one of the stories um, where people were trying to get food by the Van Nuys City Hall giveaway was that they had spent all their money on rent and they didn't have mm-hmm. any money for food. And it was mm-hmm. just a shame that uh, the council president could orchestrate this food giveaway, but not make people know that they didn't did have not to really have pay to pay their, pay their rent, rent this month. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I mean, right. one of the things that is particularly interesting about the quote that you're talking about, Alyssa, where somebody was saying uh, to something to the effect of all of their money had gone to paying their rent. So now they had no money for food is one of the one of the biggest activist campaigns in response to like what tenants and, and other Angelinos need is food, not rent, is, is like one of the big slogans that we've heard. So we in effect have done something of the reverse where we are making sure that rent gets paid in, in a lot of cases where it shouldn't probably be. But then food needs to be sourced somehow for free. And that creates distribution issues as, as well when you're talking about who is able to get that, who is able to go sit in a line for however many hours to wait for food. It, it, it is a secondary effect, as you're saying, Hayes, of the, the sort of policy that we have chosen where we are vouchsafing the, the landlord-tenant relationship and financial handover but we're not actually doing any kind of safeguarding of people's abilities to purchase their
1: daily necessities. Can we talk about what you've been hearing, Alyssa, about the uh, like food distribution and what's going on there? Oh,
0: well, there, there was a great story by Susie Cagle that was in The Guardian. And there's, I think there was many other stories about this, you know, the disruption that we're seeing from the farmers to get to, you know, these manufacturing or food manufacturing plants and, and eventually get out to restaurants and all these other places that serve food. And this is just mind blowing, especially to see in California where we have maybe 50, 60 miles away food being tilled back into the ground, you know, Mm -hmm. produce that was being grown because they can't get it to the many places that, you know, usually would be buying their food right away. Some just one part, one problem is just like restaurants, take that food. And some of them have been selling it at their own, you know, you go when you get your delivery, you can also buy like a giant bag of onions or like flour. So they've done a good job trying to get rid of what they have. But I think everything is so disrupted now that we're just going to seeing tons of food go to waste, at least for a while. And this is what's really striking is that in California, we knew this could have happened in an earthquake also, I mean, I, that's I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around that we didn't have maybe a better plan for how to get that food directly to the cities nearby, and maybe even in the same communities that that to people who need it. And hopefully, this can be something that gets fixed over the next few weeks or, or sooner, because we are wasting food as people are going hungry.
1: And that means that if there's less harvesting happening, if there's less picking happening. Those are fewer jobs for people that are not allowed to see any money from the federal government because they are undocumented. And that that applies to street vendors and so many people that kind of operate in the cash economy in Los Angeles, who the city and state are at some point just going to have to account for directly because the federal government is not going to come to their aid. That's a it's a public health issue it's a, like every aspect of our city functioning going forward is going to depend on some level of bailout for people that the federal government is not helping.
0: And and one thing, particularly at this moment in time, which is just kind of, you know, rattled my brain when I when I heard about it from people who are working on these these pro- problems the lack of sports right now is yeah. really disrupting a lot of stuff. If you think about it, we were supposed to have, you know, opening day, Dodger stadium is, is basically feeding 50,000 people every game, or that's what they've planned for. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it, it just, and also restaurants and bars that were you know planning on people coming there to watch games like March madness. And then the beginning of baseball season. So it's just, it's just mind boggling, like how much of our, eating and consuming of food and alcohol is done outside of our home. And we can't, once that's disrupted, we're not able to, to get the food directly into the mouths of people who would have been paying for it elsewhere. It's or by to-
1: tourists. Yeah.
0: Right. I mean, like yeah. pinks,
1: people aren't getting like takeout, like your delivery from pinks, like pink survived on like uh, tourists creating really long lines at the, at the actual store. And like so many other places that like tens of thousands of people every day who have now just been completely removed from the supply chain how do you get it to the people that now live here and and need the food desperately
0: and without having to have them line up in their cars and wait for three hours to drive through van nuys city hall i mean it's just yeah. like, there's there's got to be a, a maybe like farmers markets they're all over You just start doing food giveaways at the farmers markets. I mean, something more centralized where Mm -hmm. we can just start letting people know the schools are, you know, LAUSD is still buying, Mm -hmm. producing food and giving it away to families. Maybe they just increase the number of people who can get free meals at the schools.
1: Mm -hmm. On the subject of sports, we should at some point address the fact that there are things in Los Angeles and across the country that are not going to come back. Certainly in on May first, which is currently what the federal government <laughs> says that the yeah, economy they just will that today. We're like, Great. reopen. Probably not May first, twenty twenty one. These things will be open by like talking about huge gathering places, movie theaters, uh, stadiums, like things like that. Probably won't be open until a vaccine is widely available, which won't be until fall of twenty twenty one. Because even if they were permitted to open, the business decision. To, uh like to have laker games again or whatever they would run at a huge operating loss because people will not go in those same numbers like uh, like consumer decision making will have changed even if you know like we exercise freedom and we let them run their businesses why would they until the vaccine is available so this
2: oh I can I can already see summer 2020. Donald Trump saying that he's going to subsidize the NFL teams operating at a yeah. loss in order to get America going again or whatever.
1: Back to the game. <laughs> I mean, like I, I we are operating under, under sort of a collective delusion which is much easier to fall into in LA where the we don't hear as many ambulances. We don't hear we don't have as many people we know getting sick and and dying our neighbors like it's very easy to say like okay well like we did it we did a great job it's time to like open up and like get get back to work and whatever it is the fact that that's not going to happen means that we could be looking at without like a, a hugely significant level of involvement from every level of government 20% unemployment for over a year yeah and in LA in
2: particular where we are as we've discussed many times on this show significantly more dependent on sectors of the economy, like service, retail, hospitality, mm-hmm. than in Northern Cal- California, for example. There is, there's really no way that we are going to make it through the next 18 months without a significant, not only federal bailout, but a significant change in the way that the state is responding to this crisis and the way that they're looking at making sure individual households in California can make and meet, because this is something that will ripple through. We already had the most unaffordable housing market in the country when you talk about the relatively low average wages that somebody living in Los Angeles earns compared to the astronomical cost of housing. Without a very concerted recalculation of What it should cost to live here and how that money should be come by like you're saying is this This is something that will be felt at every level of 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 our society here in, in los angeles
1: But there's one kind of magic solution that is is kind of being touted as something that will give us the ability to open the city up again And that is test and trace los angeles san francisco are now putting out these like these programs i think la county is now starting to test the first one thousand people for antibodies like to see how many people have been infected with coronavirus already and like what how like how how widespread the disease has been and there are people saying like oh well in South Korea what they've been able to do is like test everybody all the time do millions of tests per week and then isolate any cases as they turn up and so it it won't have the chance of breaking out so much again where is that at Alyssa in California
0: well yeah I can also speak to what you know my mom is going through in her Mm -hmm. town so there's there's some small towns in Colorado that are very isolated like They have like one road going in and out basically in the winter. So you really can't go in and out of it unless you are driving on these places. So they, they will have an opportunity to do that kind of widespread testing and try to figure out a a bunch of different things. They'll be able to do, like you said, like figure out how many people have got it. Also track people who have had it. So my mom had to get a blood test since she has, you know, recovered and they will keep testing her to see, you know, all these different, they'll they'll be tracking all these different things and, and they will have a group where they'll, they'll be able to see. Who can go back to work? You, do you get like a, a wristband? Do you get yeah. like a, do we change the real ID program that's now going to be abandoned? Do you have a little like driver's license type card that you carry around that shows your real antibodies or something like that? So that could start in some of these smaller towns uh, across the country or just in pockets just so they can test how it works. Mm-hmm. And then that is something that they were, were talking about here in LA, you know, well if our testing is doing so good you know we are kind of the south korea maybe in this scenario as yeah. you, if you want to compare us to that because we are capable of doing the testing now our curve is flattening and and i think that's what they've been able to do is open up workplace by workplace or you you know you, you start with some something probably not the schools but you start with something that's like kind of large scale and start to slowly open things back up but at the same time they as new cases pop up you said the 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 contact tracing this is going to require humans. There, there was a lot of talk this week about like Apple and Google using apps or something to, to track people, like, you know, giving your data to, I don't know, Gavin Newsom or something to know where you've been. And then you could be banned from somewhere. I don't know. But really what you what you do is you have to use humans who mm-hmm. interview you, who talk to you and they can use your cell phone data or something like that. But you actually need to sit on the phone with somebody and talk to them for a very long time. And then you end up like contacting all the people that they went to it. And it's like it's like when we have measles outbreaks, which are more rare, you know, it's the exact same thing that we see. You get things published that show you where people have been and, and who they came in contact with. So we actually need people to do this. So this could be a great job that's right mm-hmm. now being done by the county, you know, county public health uh, professionals are doing things like this. Uh, but this could be your new job. If somebody is out of work, you could be tra- tracking where people have been and, and helping people get back to work.
1: Flash forward to six months from now, walking down Alvarado by Langers and the guys on the sidewalk, being like muttering what would they call them like like immunity cards
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> immunity Immunity card. Immunity immunity card. <laughs>
1: Where right now they just say id id that <laughs> <laughs> all the teenagers go and get their fakes from there
0: really yeah it's like this is really what we're going to have to be facing like you said for 18 months for sure i mean it's going to be a while and we yep. have to kind of set up a new sector of our government, which will create a lot of problems and be very troubling from a privacy perspective, because it'll probably need to be done at the city level. I think at this point, Mm -hmm. we're not going to have the federal government doing this. I mean, I can't see them actually implementing something like this.
1: No, I mean, it feels like it would have to be like a a state funded program where each city is has to implement it like because but it has to be that kind of fine grained.
0: It flies into LAX and then what they have to go through a very complex process to be able to enter the city.
1: Yeah. Let's talk. Speaking of the city, there was a city council meeting this week after uh, a well-deserved week-long break after their 10-hour teleconference meeting. The city council got back together via Zoom. It was a very short meeting compared to, the, I mean, it was like basically as long, if not shorter, as the, uh, the, a normal city council meeting. It was like three and a half hours long. Somehow, their ability to manage the people calling in to give public comment got much worse. Most of, most of the meeting was just Nuri Martinez and the caller going back and forth saying, Can you hear me? Yep. Uh, just, speaker, can you hear me? are you there? Speaker, are you there? Are you there? Speaker. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> and it was to anyone watching, I saw people like screaming on Twitter, like, they can't hear your, Nuri, they can't hear your microphone. Like, they could hear everything. Like, your microphone is not connected to the zoo, but like, they barely got it, like, functional by the end. It was brutal to watch.
0: Yeah, probably wasted a lot of time. If so they only had a certain time. amount of time, that felt like it was, yeah, that was very difficult. And
1: they
2: didn't extend and they were, the, the amount of time for general public comment either. I, they, like, they totally
1: reduced saved. it from the last time.
2: Yeah. They like totally caved to the 8 p.m. bedtime caucus, Gil and and whoever was complaining about it last week.
1: So that's the thing, like the fact that and there is no council meeting announced for this week. I doubt that they're going to have one. So that means that they're sort of settling into a schedule where they're going to meet once every two weeks. The only person who I have seen voice any opposition to meeting this rarely was. Uh, Council member Mike Bonin, who spoke up about it like the first time meetings were canceled, but hasn't really mentioned it since then. And to me, the message that sends, I mean, their thinking is pretty obvious, which is like the city isn't open for business right now. Like permitting is slowed down. Like the message that canceling meetings, I think, sends now is that our local government is there to, to accelerate prosperity rather than alleviate suffering like there's no business (laughs) there's there's not much happening on the real estate front like what's the point of like getting everyone together that when the need is so much greater now even just to like have public comment three times a week and hear people like voicing their anxieties like seems like it would be worth it to cut back in this time is so strange to me and you you would actually
2: think that you would actually think that the city council would would welcome that ability to to interact yeah. with people who live in the city. They don't. They really, as as a body, are so incredibly defensive and disdainful of the people who make comments to them. It's hard to believe if you haven't actually sat through one of these things and witnessed it yourself. They They are clearly contemptuous of just about everybody who speaks to them and and every response that they give is like you you just don't understand how this works with you know with rare exceptions but this this meeting was aside from being like the most painful couple hours of tv that you will ever watch they also didn't do anything they didn't accomplish anything they talked no. about paul karetz's motion to like have people wear masks but didn't actually vote on it and then Eric Garcetti, the mayor, made it an executive order after the
1: meeting had concluded. They they really. I think he had already. I I I think Garcetti had already put out his ordinance, and that was part of the reason Paul Krikorian gave for not wanting to get involved on it. Just saying, like, why you know, like, we're not medical practitioners. Like, why would we? Why would they be discussing it?
0: Why would they be talking about it? It's not even their right to say it. And yet here we have this limited amount of time mm-hmm. and one particular, you know, passage, uh, which we got to see it very closely because it was on Zoom and we can look at these people very closely. We had Council Member Caretz, like put on a uh, orange bandana. What was, he it was It was It was like pretty a-
1: bright yellow. <laughs> 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 what gang is that? <laughs> I don't know. I should have done some research
2: beforehand. They,
0: they're big in Little Dubai, is all I know. Like they're an anti-bike game.
2: But yeah, I mean the 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 real. I, I think you you wanted to play the clip from Paul Carrettes because he had a statement that was
1: that was pretty egregious in support
0: of mandating. I don't
1: even know how to react to this Uh, my reaction is very strong but i don't know exactly what it is but let's just put this was so paul coretz put forward this motion establishing policy that would require people to uh, wear masks some people other council members raised the valid concern about enforcement like what do you arrest people for it like we saw video in philadelphia this week of someone getting dragged off a bus by 10 cops for not wearing a mask we i mean it's obvious that this would fall on people of color and low income people like that level of uh, enforcement around Los Angeles and Paul Garrett said like it would really just be like health policy it's it's for people to like police each other it's not it would not be like a misdemeanor or anything like that and people council members expressed concern about every person in Los Angeles being able to conform to this policy and this is how Paul Garrett responded you're by wearing it you're protecting other people so I, I don't see the downside because someone can't find a rag in a couple of rubber bands. I don't think there's, there's anybody that doesn't have that. Even homeless people all have rags in their possessions. So the, like <laughs> even the homeless have rags among their possessions. The, like it, the, this is so hard to unpack. It's really like, it It seems like an insensitive statement, but it really is just, uh, I think evocative of just like where we are in los angeles that like like i don't think it's a bad idea for to encourage people who are living outside to have like some sort of protect. i ob- be like ideally it would be given to them something to um, cover their mouths with but just to say like i mean it's like you know marie antoinette saying like let the eat cake like, yeah the, the, this is like is. the la city council's <laughs> quote of like they've got rags yes
2: yeah. yeah and- if you don't, if you don't have a bandana, wear one of your filthy rags, poor, <laughs> poor person. Like that's, that's what he's saying. And it's, it is wild to me to, that this is such an ignorant statement. And, and yet it just like, it came so
1: freely from him. hmm. I, I don't know. It, With it, it, his mouth covered. Maybe he should yeah. could say later that yeah. it was someone else because you couldn't actually see his mouth moving. <laughs> That's true. It was, like, was
0: dubbed in. Covered it was by a but what, what the mayor did say later that night in his his uh, 515 show was that uh, a grocery store or play, other place could refuse service to people who aren't wearing masks. Which introduces yeah. a whole other oh, level of boy. complexity for people yeah. who are are unhoused or don't have the money to buy a mask or, you know, and yes, everybody has maybe something, but you're looking at, did they get the news? Do they have the, the right message? Is Are they just giving out free masks at the door to every grocery store? That's what we should be doing. I mean, all these people making masks should, uh, uh, we should get them to all the frontline workers, but there should also just be a place that's like, hey, here's a mask. Like here, mm-hmm. we are giving you a mask. <laughs>
1: Uh, so I just did a little research on the fly, and it, it appears that Paul Caret's wearing a yellow bandana makes him a Latin king. Oh, okay. And, and <laughs> at least some is mean, a circle. Let's talk about – so the, the the mayor and the city announced this week that they would be accelerating a lot of large projects related to, like, street repair. Not so much in, like, side streets, but the big ones that require, like, major avenues to be closed down. They figure now's the time to do this. Fewer people are driving. There's no traffic issue. Like, let's get to work on this stuff. At the same time, they announced that the Crenshaw line was going to be delayed now until 2021, at least, which is now two years past the original uh, date that they said it would be completed. And you think like, oh, well, you know, like the pandemic, it's like throwing everything off uh, kilter, but turns out, no, this has v- basically nothing to do with the pandemic. It is faulty construction of the line that took place uh, before this outbreak even happened. Who wants to, to talk about that?
0: Oh, this is so a Scott thing.
1: Yeah, it is a Scott thing.
0: God, Joel. Uh,
2: so the, the, the thing to know about the Crenshaw line is exactly what you're saying, Hayes. The progress that has been made on this line, which stretches from the Expo Line, Exposition Boulevard, down to the the current Green Line. The the progress that's been made there has been a sore point for Metro for well over a year at this point. They've been giving updates. Their project managers have been giving updates on a monthly basis, indicating that almost no progress has been made. I think Sara Saliman of uh, Streetsblog LA put out a great article in which she actually went back and said prior to the pandemic in the the 12 months prior to that they had made something like 1% progress from like 92% to
1: 93% complete mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has- it's hard to know what that so Laura Nelson uh wrote about this this week and said that it was 95% complete, but what that means in <laughs> this context is very hard to know.
2: So the the percentage completion what they're what they're talking about whatever benchmarks they might have what they're talking about is approaching the point at which Metro as an agency actually regains possession of the line from the contractor and begins testing and then so that takes about 6 to 8 months hopefully not longer than that and then revenue service can begin but the progress has, it's been kind of like a Zeno's paradox sort of thing where it yes. just like slows down infinitely as we get closer to the finish line and, and Metro for their part for about like a year or more now have just been saying, uh, while well, the contractor needs to just do this work faster. It was like, they're, they're 90 days behind mm-hmm. schedule. We need them to, they've promised to make up this extra time. They're 180 days behind schedule. They promised to make up this extra time, you know? And the. You get to a point where obviously all that there is is mitigation of, of the existing delays. So you have to wonder if now, in the context of everything being shut down, if, if this is just a way for Metro to acknowledge what was sort of a foregone conclusion at this mm. point, yeah. that, that That's these delays had yeah. g- grown They're so right out of hand. Pandemic. Yeah, mm-hmm. So uh, it, 2021 is a, is a long time to wait. Especially yeah. when we're talking about, you know, the, the, the mayor, I think, said that the Purple Line is going to be ahead of schedule when when we come out of the state of emergency in L.A. But, but these are big projects. They are complex, but being able to manage these projects is key, especially for an agency like Metro that has staked so much on its ability to deliver these enormous rail projects.
1: Mm hmm. It's stuff that you're glad they caught. It's very scary. It's like w- walls that are supporting a bridge over La Brea Avenue in Inglewood have settled yeah. to the point that they are unsafe and flaw. This is uh, from Laurie Nelson's reporting. Flaws in the steel support structure that is supposed to anchor the train tracks on bridges and in tunnels. So you definitely want this. Is you know if you're a train expert, you know that you want the tra- the tracks to be anchored <laughs> when you're going over a bridge okay ready for something really fun yeah we've all seen these these quarantine houses going around these quarantine houses going viral like crazy new york has a a quarantine house meme la does not have a quarantine house meme yet but Hmm. now we do until the la podcast is putting out six quarantine houses for for people to choose from, five are party are they
0: are they party houses that we need to uh, stop prostitution? At? They will immediately <laughs> be
1: shut down <laughs> with tear They're gas. Grenades. Very
0: nice Airbnb rentals that people are still partying in during the pandemic.
1: I'm gonna go through them one by one, and and when I finish with, with each house, you can kind of talk out like your your feelings about whether or not you'd like to live in this party house. No politician. We talk about politicians too much on this show. I, I I'm bored of. These people, no politicians allowed in the in the, in the quarantine in the party house. Okay, ready, ready. House number one, quarantine house one. Vin Scully, Lucy Jones, earthquake expert. The the bike Viking, the guy who uh, rides on his bike through intersections in with a biking helmet on. He gives people the finger. He points at his butt. He tells people yeah. "f you." Roy Choi, no list <laughs> of Angelinos is complete without Roy Choi, and the Black Dahlia's ghost. That's number one. That's Susan Quarantine. Oh, wow, <laughs> it's so a party for house. me. Living with the Black Dahlia's ghost, appealing but scary. A little <laughs> could be scary, but so you, you got and Lucy all...
0: Jones there to help you. So yeah, it's okay.
1: Lucy Jones, a very calm. She'll enforce. warn you.
0: She'll warn you if something's going wrong.
1: Yeah. I would be um, kind of worried that, sorry, what? What were you saying, Scott? I think you and I are about to say the same oh, thing. Uh,
0: I think I heard the Black Dahlias goes there for a second.
1: Um, I, I guess I would be concerned about, well, I
2: mean, so I, I feel like there's, there's some kind of like synergy between Vince Scully and the bike Viking. I don't know. Uh-huh. That feels like a lot of L.A. cred for one house. I, I, I'm, I'm in favor of it. I'm in favor of it.
0: The food would be good. The food would be food good. food would be
1: good. I threw Roy Choi in there. Uh, and you only have uh, four people. Either. I would not be anywhere within, like, let myself be within 20 feet of Vince Gully for the rest of his life. I don't want to be responsible for anything that happens. If he, like, you know, he's getting well, he'd up he'd have there. his own
0: space, though. He'd be, like, in the pool house or something.
1: I just don't. I mean, excited. like, you will not be blaming me for anything that happens to <laughs> Vince Gully, because I will not be in that house. Okay. Next house. Barbara Ferrer, new LA celebrity, our newest Larry from Sit and Sleep You're killing me, Larry <laughs> Magic Johnson Angeline And the mammoth Drowning in the La Brea pits. Okay, see it, I, I don't feel like I could Live with Angeline, cause
2: like All uh-huh. the mystique is gone at that point, right? That, that was a year old friend <laughs> <laughs>
0: All, I, all I don't know. Es- I feel like think of all the transportation that you would have at your mm-hmm. fingertips, all the yeah. pink vehicles that you could joyride around the city. Uh-huh. In.
2: I'm also worried uh, the Mammoth uh, would take up a little bit too much space. I'm just thinking about the size of my apartment and I'm not sure. Like the, the Mammoth, mm-hmm. I think, requires a little bit too much.
0: Requires its own pit, its own carpet. <laughs> it,
1: let's assume that everyone is in the, the mayor's house. Okay. The mayor's oh. not there, but all of these, oh, each of these
0: are taking place in the Getty House. Okay. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. Okay. I can see Next
1: that. Quarantine House Three YG. Yeah. Nancy, Nancy Silverton. Jamie McCourt. Pat Harvey. And the Western Exterminator guy. <laughs>
0: I'm loving the icons of the other. Well, Nancy could be super helpful because she's already had it and she could also cook food and she'd be yeah. like, like you said, she'd have superpowers. So, yeah,
1: she's immune. She's just be, there yeah. out of kindness. She's quarantining herself be- <laughs> in solidarity. It's extremely
2: hard for me to imagine not picking the house that has YG in it. Having the And LaBella Pat Harvey's great, bread. too.
1: I'd love to hang out with Pat Harvey. <laughs> it's a good house. Ja- Jamie McCourt, I imagine, could be a handful but the um, great stories. And we both agree that we're not big fans of Frank McCourt. So like, <laughs> like, was, well, he has, so he has time. the whole gondola thing to keep him busy. Right? Like that, that I imagine yes. is occupying a lot of his time. Well, he's, he's quarantined inside the gondola right now. To, <laughs> you know, there's no, around. there's no safer place. <laughs> Perpetual
0: gondola. Yeah. It's
1: stuck halfway up. Next quarantine has four. P. O. Lien, Jacob M. Rani, calljacob.com, the, the the injury attorney, Jazz Singsonong from Gelada, Lisa Leslie, and Rick Caruso. Another <laughs> another good food house. It's a good um, house. You know that
2: that is interesting. I, I I I wish that Jacob and Romney was in a house with LeBron. That that would be a hard <laughs> combo to beat. But still
1: it's a good it's a good it's a good house. I like that.
0: See, this is LeBron where I wanted is to start becoming...
1: I don't LA, I don't think we can claim him yet, unfortunately. He's
0: not, really, he's not lived here long enough to be in a quarantine house. I, I would say this is the point where I would start wanting to have this be a reality show right. with Rick Caruso in this type of living situation, like a downgrade. The Getty house yes. is a downgrade for Rick Huge Caruso. Downgrade. And so he would be he would be having a really hard time. He'd be struggling with roommates.
2: My my thought about Rick Caruso is I mean, have you, I, I just can't imagine living with somebody who would want to put on that much Michael Buble. And to me, that <laughs> might be a deal breaker.
1: He has, it will probably be celebrating two Christmases in there. And so he would rig it to have it like snow indoors. <laughs> okay. Next quarantine house five. Dennis Woodruff. Denniswoodruff.com. The, the, the car. That is driving around where you can. Uh, he's an actor that advertises himself in a car that has hundreds of thousands of little doodads glued to it. A a YMI jeans bus bench model. Uh, the, 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 the They say uh, wanna bet a Wanna Betta butt. <laughs> Clipper Daryl is in this house. <laughs> Marsha Clark. And 1,000 cups of Zanku garlic paste. <laughs> mm. That my thinking there was this house is like not very good. <laughs> <laughs> you really, you really like
2: swooped in at the end and saved that house. Yeah, I was like, I really mommy. have to bail
1: out this house. Clipper Daryl is like fine, but like there's some. It seems like it would be a tough house, but boy, and no other house has any garlic paste. That's true. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to have it. And you can start
0: okay. selling it. You can start bartering it or yeah. selling it.
1: What's the, what's the
2: name of the actor who drives around? Dennis Woodruff. Okay. He's probably not home a lot. <laughs>
0: he's, <Yeah. laughs> he's still got to keep advertising.
1: <laughs> his business is essential business at this Take time. Very safe. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, what house are you taking? Where's one more house? I think, oh, wait, I think we have more. one more. I think we have one more. One more house. Quarantine house six. Bosch, Detective Harry Bosch, <laughs> Gustavo Dudamel of the LA Phil uh, conductor, V. Stiviano, the woman who outed Donald Sterling for being a racist, which even though everyone knew already. Maxine Waters is in this house, and Stu Mundell, the helicopter. Uh, Chopper, yeah. So you yep, you got.
0: You can just go up. Well, how many car chases? I guess there have been some. Car there have been no tra- some. No car traffic, traffic but, though. And really, every needed, drive is a car chase now. Yeah, if you needed something, yeah. you could you had this? House.
2: This house has probably the most entertainment baked in because you know mm-hmm. V Siviano has a ton more footage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could watch for a long time. I would also say the 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 dynamic between her and Maxine Waters probably one to watch. That's
1: yep. That's a fun house. Yeah. Gustavo's fun. Yep. Just but one the one piece of research that su- surprised me when I was looking around for people to live in these houses, I was like, surely Marcia Clark has moved. Surely she does not still live in Los Angeles. <laughs> she still she lives here. She lives here. Can't leave now. Okay. Everyone pick your house.
0: I picked it. I'm going for number one.
1: Number one.
0: I will follow. Well, here are two reasons. First of all, I will follow Lucy Jones anywhere because I I just trust her in times of any kind of crisis. And Mm -hmm. second of all, based on how 2020 is going, we are sure to have a major earthquake in the next few months. So I would want to be in the house with with Lucy so she can tell me what to do and Mm -hmm. help the city recover from that point.
1: Lucy Jones and Roy Choi. Good help. And
0: Roy Choi. Vince is
1: there. Yeah, come on.
0: He'll the do the play-by-play play on the earthquake. It'll be great. So that's where... Yeah, the ghost, it's a small trade-off. It's yep. not a big deal.
2: Scott, well, one less person who needs first aid in an earthquake.
1: Um, <laughs> what, read, me, read me number three again. YG, Nancy Silverton, Jamie McCourt, Pat Harvey, and the Western Exterminator guy. And
2: then
0: no two,
1: two was the one that had Crazy Larry. Larry from Sit and Sleep, yes. The mass murderer Larry. <laughs> just killed. that's the
2: hard choice for me i think i think i'm gonna go with yg and, and nancy silverton that's a
1: great that's a great house I, I'm, I'm interested
2: to learn you know more about jamie mccourt's relationship with his dad but but really i'm just i'm just there to to watch two magicians at the top of their game nancy silverton <laughs> and yg
1: yeah i'm the western four. exterminator guy four is hard to beat uh Peoline jacob amirani jazz sing lisa leslie and rick caruso yeah lisa leslie i don't think gets enough credit as being like in la has she ever left la lisa leslie I mean, is just, awesome she's so she, cool she, she, she rules she should be like just more of a symbol of the city than she is born in gardena went to morningside high in inglewood went to usc played for the sparks her entire career and is now now does lakers tv And is like one of the most famous WNBA players ever. And jazz, jazz always makes me feel like a celebrity every time I go into Jitlada. And just to have that feeling around me all the time would be, would be so nice. We'll post these. Excited to hear everyone else's picks for their uh, quarantine house on social media. Can't wait to go viral. Thank you for listening to LA Podcast. We'll be back next week. Stay safe. Thank you, Brian Holmes, for producing the show. Bye.